Well, good morning, FCC Church. Good morning. Welcome to another wonderful Sunday morning here at FCC. A nice, beautiful, bright, sunshiny day. <laughs> but I digress. Could you please stand and worship along with us? Out of the dark 
like that one John 1 verses 4 and 5 says in him was life and that life was the light of men that light shines in the darkness yet the darkness did not overcome it let's pray together Lord we're thankful for the light of Jesus and Father I pray that particularly during this Christmas season we can shine that light brightly and let other people know about the great God that we serve we are here today to worship and we thank you for that opportunity it's in Jesus name that we pray amen well good morning everyone Oh, man, we're enthusiastic today. I'm Jeff, and I've uh, been, gone, been gone for a couple of weeks, but glad to be back. And uh, today we're going to lift up Christ together. Please make sure if you get the opportunity to fill out your connection card. And if you're watching us online, you'll see something along the bottom of the screen that you can do the same thing. At this time, I'm going to give things back to the praise team. We're going to continue lifting up the... Oh, darn, I forgot. I've been gone for a couple of weeks. Okay, now, you're going to get three minutes to go around and say hi to somebody. Now... What you're, going, what you're not going to do is you're not just going to go say hi to your friends. You're going to go by and see somebody you haven't seen before and just introduce yourself. And they may be new. They may not be new. Don't be embarrassed if they've been here for a while. And you say, hey, are you new? Just say, hey, I, that's my bad. I'll, 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 learn you, I'll learn your name next time. But anyway, three minutes. Go.
we're going to call you guys back. It's wonderful the love we have as a family for one another. And we need to express our love for God together now as we sing together to him and let the glory of the Lord rise among us. tired this morning. Just to make sure you guys are paying attention. <laughs> In Psalms 121, we read, I lift my eyes towards the mountains. Where will my help come from? My help comes from the Lord and the maker of heaven and earth. Your 
117 says every good and perfect gift is from above coming down from the father of lights who does not change like shifting shadows Sing the wonders of peace. 
on a new Christmas song for you, but this song has ramifications for all year long because it's talking about lifting up your eyes. This is the first Sunday of Advent which focuses on hope and the hope we have in Christ, the hope we have for the future, but also the hope just for today. And so I pray that you'll listen to the words of this song and sing along if you've heard it on the radio and know it, please, by all means. La 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 has laid his hand, light of light, eternal hope has come.
trying to sleep last night and that thing kept playing through my head all night long I love it though it's a beautiful song that's why I was playing there it's better than baby shark <laughs> I forgot I saw a thing the other day where they were talking about in some Russian prison or something some of the prisoners they they play music that that they don't that, that would drive them nuts and they were some playing some ACDC and they were asking other people what would you play and one said baby shark <laughs> I think it'd be kind of fun but I don't want to go to a Russian prison, so. Well, we're in Christmas season, as you can tell. First day of Advent, first week of Advent. And, okay, I was wondering, what is that noise? <laughs> this season should be a time of joy. I mean, honestly, for Christians, every, 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 every day, every week should be joyful. Even when things are difficult, it makes it, more, it, makes it harder to, but we should be joyful. But you know, sometimes we take it for granted that this should be a joyful time because for many it's not. Um, sometimes things have happened. Um, people, have, they've lost loved ones. It makes it more difficult. Uh, sometimes the concept of joy in general is hard for people because their life is in such ruin that they just don't think there's anything to be joyful about. Sometimes, unfortunately, that ruin is self-inflicted. Sometimes it's inflicted upon us. But the message is this. There's hope. There's hope. 
We're going to be looking at a powerful message out of Isaiah chapter 40, verses 1 and 5 today that will show us and tell us about the hope that's found, the the hope we have in God through Jesus Christ. This passage that we encounter gives us words of comfort, assurance, reminding us that true joy can be found in our relationship with Jesus Christ. Many people struggle with joy because they're trying to find it in the wrong place. And when you try to find joy in the wrong place in life, you're not going to be joyful. The prophet Isaiah, inspired by the Holy Spirit, delivers a message to the people of Israel who were facing a great time of turmoil and despair. See, when Isaiah was writing, the nation was in exile. They were under captivity. They were longing for freedom. They were longing for restoration. Yet amid their darkness, Isaiah reveals a glimmer of divine light, a promise of comfort and eventual redemption. As we dig into these verses, we're going to discover that in a world that's filled with uncertainty and fear and brokenness, we need to have... we. We need the joy that we can have and it can only be found through a relationship with Jesus Christ. That's the only place you can find it. Isaiah's prophecy reminds us that Jesus is the source of true comfort. He comes in to he comes in us during our time of weariness, gently speaking words of solace into our troubled hearts. We find rest, we find assurance in his presence, knowing he understands our pain and that he offers his his unfailing love. One of the things we know about Jesus that nothing else has, all the false gods, which they don't have because they're fake, Jesus has something that we need to know, and that is he sympathizes with us. He knows us. He has been tempted in all ways that we have, but yet is without sin. He knows us because he lived the life that we live. He brings hope to the hopeless. He brings healing to the broken, strength to the weary. His grace is sufficient. And the beautiful thing is his mercy knows no bounds. When we surrender our burdens to him, he breathes new life into our souls and empowers us to rise above our circumstances. Lastly, Isaiah directs our gaze directly toward the glory of the Lord. Many times we struggle with joy and hope because we don't turn those things, those burdens that we have over to Jesus. We hold them ourselves, we carry those burdens alone, and we're not capable of handling them alone. And we have nowhere else to go. Jesus, the King of Kings, reveals his majesty and splendor, captivating our hearts with his unmatched grace and his unmatched greatness. And the beautiful thing about grace is when we have Christ in our lives, the first time you mess up, he doesn't kick you out. The second time, he doesn't kick you out. The third time, he doesn't. Do you all know people that the first time you make a mistake with them, you're done? That's a miserable way to live life. But our God is not that way. When we fix our eyes on him, one of the thing, one things that happens to us is our perspective shifts from the trials that we have in this world because they dim in comparison to his eternal glory. We know that he can deal with it, but our problem is we hold on to it. And when we hold on to it, it's going to destroy us. It will define us, and it shouldn't. So my prayer this morning is that you open your hearts and minds to receiving the message through the book of Isaiah this morning. I hope that we can embrace his comforting presence, that we can experience his transformative power, because it can transform us, and that we'll be amazed by his divine grace that we don't see anywhere else on earth, that grace that's there for us no matter what. 
I hope that our lives will be filled with an abiding joy that transcends circumstances. And for many of us, they don't because our joy and our hope is not placed in the right place yet. We, we may come to church, we'll read the Bible some, we'll watch online when it's convenient, but there's so much more to it than those things. Our faith isn't just about, although it's part of it, just coming to church, watching stuff online, praying a little bit, reading a little bit of the Bible. It's so much deeper than that. It's really giving ourselves over to Christ. And when you can do that, you can have joy and hope in all circumstances. For this series, this four-week series, the big idea is that we're going to describe, as, as we describe the Christmas season being full of joy and comfort, in Isaiah chapter 40, verses 1 through 5, we're going to see that there's a lot to say about that. And through this series, we're going to base everything on that passage, but we'll bring some other ones in in the, the coming weeks. This series unpacks the path, in, in the passage it unpacks, it reminds us that God, through Jesus, brings comfort in our pain, through our pain, through our sorrow, and he can bring us joy even in the midst of those things. Because it's amazing what happens in your life. When you, have, you ever, have you ever been burdened with something and you've carried it? And you've carried it. What does it do to you? It sucks the life out of you. It'll even affect your health. You can't have joy. You can't have peace. But if you've ever been able to take those circumstances and give them to Christ, they're not easy. But in the end, there's peace and there's joy and there's amazement at what God can do. So this morning, we're going to be in Isaiah chapter 40. The main idea to the message today is simply this, that Christmas is a time to experience comfort and joy from what God has done through Jesus. So if you have your Bibles, it'll be on the screen. If you're not, we're, gonna, we're going to be in Isaiah chapter 40, verses 1 and 2. It says this. Comfort, comfort, my people, says your God. Speak kindly to Jerusalem and tell her that her time of warfare is over, that her punishment is complete, for the Lord has made her pay double for all of her sins. The first thing we need to understand is under, we need to be understanding the context. This is true of the passage, but it's also true of our lives. Each one of our lives has context, and the lives of people that you're going to encounter has context. And when you understand that context, it helps you to be able to deal with them and be more effective in reaching them. See, the nation was going to endure captivity in the future by the Babylonians, and later the Medo-Persian Empire kind of gives them some relief. But at the time they were of this writing, the Assyrians were in power. Now, I can't imagine, and I hope I never have to experience, living in a country that is under control of another one. Would you, would you like that? Could I just imagine if China was running the show now. We wouldn't be here today, for one thing, because they would be telling us we can't, we'd have to go underground. And imagine living under a, an oppressive system where they're running the show. Do you think there'd be a lot of joy in town over that? A lot of hope? No. I would hate to be that, and I pray to God this nation never suffers that. But you know why Israel was under captivity? Disobedience, rejection of God. I'm thankful we don't do that in this country today. But anyway, other nations were constantly ruling the nation of Israel because they kept, they kept on being disobedient. And the interesting thing is when God allowed these things to happen, when he orchestrated them, it wasn't that he hated the nation, he loved them. For those of you who had children, when you've had to discipline your children, was it fun? If it was, you've got a problem. But <laughs> no, it's not fun. But do you hate your kid when you discipline them? If you're healthy, you know you don't. You're, you're not happy with them, but you're doing what you're doing because you, because you love them. 
Show me a parent that wants to be a buddy with their kid, I'll show you a spoiled brat in the future. Because as a parent, you have to parent. And, you know, I always told my girls, there's going to be times you're not going to like me, and I'm okay with that, because I love you that much. Because I want to try to do the very best I can to do what's right. Well, God was doing that with the nation of Israel. And today, as we turn to Isaiah chapter 40, verses 1 and 2, we're transported back to a significant moment in the history of the nation of Israel. It's essential to understand the historical context which, from which Isaiah's prophecy was given so that we can understand the depth of the message and the impact that it had on his readers. Because it wasn't like he's writing this when times are going great and everything's chugging on all cylinders. Isaiah's prophetic ministry took place from 740 B.C. to about 698 B.C. Now, at the time of this prophecy, the people of Israel were in, ex in a state of exile. The northern kingdom had already fallen to the Assyrians, where the ten, ten of the tribes were, and the southern kingdom of Judah had found itself in oppression and was being dispersed. The people were taken away from their homeland, they were separated from their families, they were stripped of their identity. During their exile, the Israelites experienced deep distress. They were longing for relief, longing for salvation. They were burdened with the weight of their captivity, living in a foreign land far away from the land that God had promised them and promised to their ancestors. Now, their hearts were filled with grief. Their spirits were weary. Their hopes seemed to be waning with each passing day. And can you understand why? Imagine being in that situation. At some point, you think, well, you know what? There's no hope. There's no hope. And it's precisely in this place of despair and longing that Isaiah's words bring a glimmer of hope. The prophet tells the people, he says, comfort my people, says your God. So God is saying, I haven't forgotten you. I want to bring comfort to you. These words were like a balm to the wounds of their souls because they were damaged, and God wanted them to know he hadn't been forgotten. It's a reminder of that. It's a reminder that God sees their pain, that he's present with them, among, among, with them excuse me, during their exile. And the same is true in our lives. When we exile ourselves away from God because of sin, or when we've been following God and we kind of drift away, he hasn't forgotten you. He hasn't says, well, I hate you. You can never come back. He is longing to have you back with him. He loves you that much. But the enemy's always in your ear telling you, look what you've done. Look what you're thinking. Look how you're looking at that person. Look how you treated that person. There's no way God can love you. Don't, he's not going to waste his time with you. You're pathetic. Just don't try. And that's the message. You're worthless. We hear that message. We're not worthy. And we hear that message. But yet Isaiah's telling the people, God wants to bring you comfort. Yeah, you're in trouble, but you're loved. And God's going to be there for you. They long for a Savior to come to lead, them, to lead them out of captivity. They weren't looking at it from an eternal life standpoint like we do. They were just wanting relief from their circumstances. Their distress and longing were a cry out for salvation, a plea to God to intervene, to rescue them from their circumstances. This is what they were crying out for. As we reflect on this passage, though, we have to remember, just like the people of Israel, we too find ourselves in distress, we find ourselves longing, we find ourselves in these emotional states of hopelessness, even yet today. No, we're not being run by the Assyrians or the Babylonians, but there's this thing that's even greater that captures us, it's called sin. And the biggest deception that's out there from Satan is to tell people without Jesus, you're free. Oh, come to Jesus, yeah, go ahead and do that, you're going to be enslaved. You're going to lose all your freedom. 
But the truth of the matter is, outside of Christ, we are not free. We are enslaved to sin. We are enslaved to the penalty that comes along with that. And Jesus can free us from that bondage. We may find ourselves in overwhelming situations, burdened with the weight of our struggles, longing for something to change, longing for a breakthrough. But we need to take heart, for in our distress, Jesus, our Savior, hears our cries, and he understands our longings. Jesus Christ is the ultimate deliverer. He offers us comfort and hope. He is the one who brings true freedom and true, even maybe more importantly, true restoration to our lives. We don't have to be defined by what we did, who we were. We need to be defined by who we are in Christ. And so many times, even Christians are allowing themselves to be defined by what they did, who they were, not by who they are and who they belong to and where they're headed. We need to hold on to this promise of comfort and salvation that's found in Isaiah's prophecy. Isaiah's prophecy is offering salvation to the nation. We need to trust in the faithfulness of God, that he keeps his promises, that he sees us in our distress, and that when we're going through these things, he can bring peace and restoration. See, the nation knew the prophecies about eventually a Messiah coming through them, but yet this didn't look like it was going to happen. How can this happen when we're not even home, when we're not even in our nation anymore? God says, I haven't forgotten you. You've got to trust that. And in the midst of your struggles, you will feel forsaken. You'll feel alone. You'll feel like God doesn't love you. None of those things are true. He's right beside you. When your issue self-inflicted, he will walk you through that. When your issue has been afflicted upon you, he will be with you through that. He's waiting for you to turn to him. We need to find solace in knowing that Jesus Christ is ready to lift us up and to carry us and to carry our burdens. If we're going through this time of the year with a heavy burden, why are we doing that? Why don't we give it to him? Because that's where it needs to go. We cannot let our past burden us, and way too many Christians are that way still, and people who are lost are always going to be that way. We can't let our, let our past failures make us feel like we are not worthy. I mean, technically we're not, but see, it's about God, not about us. He loves us that much, and you've got to trust that. I struggled with that for the longest time. The nation of Israel was starting to be, they were being burdened with guilt. And rightly so, they should, you know, guilt has its place. But there comes a point where you have to understand that God can bring comfort. In this passage, we have the voice of comfort, the assurance of God's compassion and forgiveness. Here's the nation of Israel that multiple times they, they were forsaking God. They were disobeying him. They were ignoring him. But yet God is saying, you know what? I'm here to comfort you. We're going to get through this. The voice of God himself was resonating through the prophet Isaiah, telling them, I'm going to bring you comfort. Telling them, I know the depths of your pain. I know the anguish that you're facing. And he want to ex wants to extend compassion and forgiveness. Despite their disobedience and the consequences they were facing, God's love remains steadfast. Sometimes we have a hard time believing it, but for those of us who've raised our kids, we know that's true. Because even when we've had to, if you will, you know, clamp down on them, we did it and we still love them. We want to help them get through it. He assures them that his mercy is not exhausted, that his forgiveness is available to those who turn to him with repentant hearts. And that's just the whole thing he was doing to the nation. He was trying to get them to the point of repentance and say, you know what, God, we messed up. We need to get on the right path. And you'll notice with the nation of Israel, you look at the book of Judges, it was continual cycles of this happening. 
and God didn't say, you know what, I'm done with you. I'm going to raise up a new nation. Tired and sick and tired of dealing with you guys. His forgiveness is there. For those who wander from God, you know, many times, many times we don't just turn our back on Him when we when we've come to Him, but we drift. Things start getting in the way. We'll talk about that a little bit later in the message. But we let things kind of pull us away and we stray. And when that happens, God is just standing there and saying, "Come back." He's not going to make you come back. He's not lashing and drag you back in because if you don't want to come back, that's up to you. It's called free will. But he is longing for you to come back to him. And so if you've been in a position or if you are in a position where you've kind of strayed and you think, you know, God can't love me. That's Satan telling you that. God still loves you. God still wants you. God's arms are open wide waiting for you because God's desire is for reconciliation and restoration. He wants to restore you. Verse, in verse 1, it reflects his con, God's desire for reconciliation and restoration. He longs to bring his people back to him and get them back in a right relationship. He wants restoration for us when we wander. When we have totally turned our back on him, he wants us to be in a relationship with him. It's not merely with the, with the, with the nation of Israel re- fixing, if you will, their physical distress, but he wants to give them a deep spiritual healing that will help keep them on the right path. He wants to fix their brokenness. Here's something to ponder as you read this passage as we go through the next few weeks. The context of the message of Isaiah, chapter 40, verses 1 through 5, is not much different than the context of our lives or the context of the lives of people around us. It's so important that we understand context because if we don't, we won't know how to help bring people to the Lord. We won't know how to bring hope to people. If we treat every situation as exactly the same, we won't be effective. Let's look at verses um, 3 and 4. A voice cries out in the wilderness, Clear the way for the Lord. Build a level road through the rift valley for for our God. Every valley must be elevated and every mountain and hill leveled. The rough terrain will become a level uh, plain and the rugged landscape a wide valley. So the next part of Isaiah's message is preparing the way for joy. When we see this prophecy, he's talking about preparing the way for the Lord. Now, if you know your Bible much, when you look at that passage, verses 3 and 4, doesn't that sound really familiar? There's a guy in the New Testament called John the Baptist, whose job, and we'll talk about him, I think, in week three of this message quite a bit, maybe week two, about how he was there to prepare the way for the Lord, to prepare the hearts of the people. That voice that was crying out in the wilderness, Isaiah. Now, just a brief little side rabbit here I want you to understand. Even today, you'll read some commentaries about Isaiah. What you'll find is Isaiah was written between 640 and 6, uh, sorry, 740 and 698 B.C., okay? Jesus came to here about 6 B.C. So you've got at least 700 years between the writing and when things start happening. And by the way, Isaiah also prophesied about the coming of the Babylonians that was going to happen past his time. So he wrote this. So what people surmise is, say, wait a minute, there's no way that Isaiah could be that precise because he's really precise. I mean, really precise to the point where it's like, wait a minute, how do you know that? And so people said, well, Isaiah was written by a few authors in different times, okay? Two things, and this is what liberal scholars used to believe, and I don't like putting liberal and scholar in the same thing, it's kind of, but anyway, that's what they thought until a couple things happened. Number one, Dead Sea Scrolls. 
You know, it's amazing how God works because Isaiah was one of the most uh, controversial books of the, New of the Old Testament because of that. But yet in the Dead Sea Scrolls, they found complete, completed version. The complete, the only, I think the only Dead Sea Scroll complete of Isaiah, which dated to 200 B.C. So that kind of shot that. And Isaiah is referenced, I, I'm going to be wrong on this, but I think about 40 sometimes in the New Testament. And every time it's referenced to Isaiah. Jesus, when he talks about the, the book of Isaiah, he says, Isaiah said, Isaiah wrote. He didn't say Deutero Isaiah wrote or Isaiah number three wrote. So that kind of shot that in flames. But anyway, so right here he's talking about this voice that's crying out. He's proclaiming that there's going to be one in the wilderness that's preparing the way for the Lord. This prophecy finds its fulfillment. We see it in Matthew 3 3 when it talks about John the Baptist, the cousin of Jesus. John was sent as a forerunner to prepare the hearts for the repentance and, and that they were going to need to come to Jesus. And like I said, we'll talk about that in depth in a couple weeks. But his role was to prepare hearts, to prepare for, for them for the coming. Similarly, that voice, we are called to be that voice also yet today to, to help others along with ourselves to prepare ourselves for the Lord, for the arrival of the Lord. We are to be that voice in the wilderness, crying out, trying to help people be prepared. You know, a lot of times what we end up doing is we just start taking the gospel to somebody, okay? But we haven't prepared them. They're not prepared. We haven't even prayed, God, prepare their hearts to hear the message. We just, here it is, and we just vomit the whole thing out at them, and they don't respond, and we're like, well, that's a waste of time. It's never a waste of time. But we're going to be more effective we're caught when we create an environment that welcomes the presence of God and allows him to work in my own life. I hit a point in my life where it was such a mess that I was open to hear the message, open to hear the gospel. So any attempts before that, I was just, meh, pff, whatever. I'm going to do what I want to do. Nobody tells me what to do. But I'll tell you what, when you get to a certain point in your life, you're like, you know, that's not a good way to live life. It's actually kind of foolish. And my heart was open. The way was prepared. There's an importance with preparation because what it does in our own life is if I'm preparing it, it says that I am acknowledging my need for repentance and renewal, preparing the way. Preparing the way of the Lord begins with acknowledging that need. And so do you understand how if somebody's not prepared, why they won't accept the message? Because they're not prepared. They don't think that they have a need for repentance and renewal. So this is why many of our evangelistic efforts with people fail, because we haven't prepared them. We must also humbly recognize our own sinfulness and turn away from those old habits in life that used to ensnare us. Repentance involves opening the doors for God's transformative work in our lives, allowing him to cleanse us from all unrighteousness and to restore us to a right relationship with him. It implies and demands that we remove obstacles in our lives and in our hearts. When in this passage in verses three and four, where he talks about, hey, we're gonna flatten out the mountains, we're gonna make the valley smooth, that's all about getting rid of obstacles. Because they didn't have nice four-wheel drive trucks back then. You know, they had to have a smooth path to travel. And so they did everything they could to make that path clear. But see, when I am when I am preparing myself, I'm looking at my life and I'm saying, I don't need this, I need more of this, I need to get. If you ever tra travel, most people, not everybody, but most people prepare for it. 
Now, I say my wife, she's really organized. I mean, she's got spreadsheet. We'll be gone for one day. She got a spreadsheet out, pictures of her outfit. I mean, it's amazing. And she never forgets stuff. Now, me, it's like, oh, we're leaving in a couple hours. I've already packed my bags. You know, it's time to go. But fortunately, except for once, I usually don't forget stuff. I always say, after hey, I forgot it, we can go buy something. But anyway, when you're preparing for a trip, one of the things that happens in preparation is you find out what you need, because let's say you're out of something, or you find out what you don't need. Well, I don't need for a, well, for us gentlemen, anyway, for a one-day trip, we don't need five outfits. But, but, but we, we find what we need and what we don't need. And it's like if you're going to make bread. Most people, unless you already know you have the ingredients, you're going to prepare by saying, okay, what do I need to be able to do this? And if you don't, many times you'll get in the middle of it, an important part, you'll, oh, I forgot the yeast, or I forgot this, or I forgot that. Preparation is so important. Removing obstacles in our lives is so important. And they're not always evil. I, I, I've used this before, but my, friend, my safety director when I worked at Square D Company, uh, we, we, where we worked was an hour from Lake of the Ozarks. And if you've never, and now Lake of the Ozarks, it's not like Patagonia where it's the size of this building, but it's like a big, it's a big lake. It's, it's massive. And people boat, and this is where you get these boats, and you get to go boat, and we ski, and you can fish. It's really fun. It's an amazing place to go. It's beautiful. But he said, Jeff, he said, we'd go take our boat, and we'd go on the weekend on Sunday. We'd park the boat and go to church and go back on the boat. And then eventually, Jeff, he said, we'd, we'd get on the boat, and we'd just have church on the boat. And then eventually, we're like, yeah, we'll go to church next week. And he said, Jeff had to sell the boat. Boat's not evil, but it was becoming an obstacle in his life, getting in the way of him and his family's relationship with his Lord and Savior. So it's not always bad things. Sometimes we can fill our lives with so many, what are good things, that we start pushing God out of the picture. You know, as parents, and we got some parents in here, do not make the mistake of thinking that the only reason as a father I'm here is to provide money to provide food. Your children need much more than that. And if you want to help ensure to the best of the ability that your children will walk with the Lord, you need to prepare their hearts you need to prepare their life. They need to see Jesus in your life. If Jesus is fifth on my priority list, you know where Jesus is going to be with my kids? Tenth. Because if Jesus isn't important to me, he's not going to be important to them either. Because, see, my life is supposed to be an example of how to live life. You know? If I'm horrible to their mother, am I giving a good example? Absolutely not. If I'm calling myself a Christian, I'm out cussing everybody out in town or cheating people in town or whatever cheating people as a business person and my kids know it am i am i preparing the path for jesus in their life no i'm putting more and more obstacles and my hope as a parent was always not to be an obstacle to my kids faith not to be an obstacle to my wife not to be an obstacle to other people we have to prepare the way for the lord for people in their life isaiah this is what he's talking about we need to smooth those paths we have to identify those obstacles we have to remove them the greatest gift, parents, you can give your children, number one, is a good marriage, a good example of what it means to be married, and secondly, and probably actually should be first, firstly, and then the other second, you should show them what it means to, belong, to believe in Jesus and how that should impact your life, how it changes your life, how it makes you different. That's so important. We have to do this with intention. We have to be able to create space for God in our time, in our life, in our minds, in our hearts. Don't let that slow drift happen to you. We need to prioritize prayer, study in the word. We need to prioritize seeking his guidance. 
shameless plug for Core 52. I'm going to show you a video during the announcement time about Core 52. We're going to, going to be doing it throughout 2024 and part of 25 because I feel it's so important. It's going to be a program that's going to help you if you'll just take 15 minutes a day, five days a week, you get two days off. 15 minutes a day, you're going to learn so much about the Word of God and so much about God. If you don't have 15 minutes for your Lord and Savior, you really need to reevaluate your life. That's all we're going to be asking with this. We have to be open to God. Let's look at verse 5. Verse 5 says this, The splendor of the Lord will be revealed, and all the people will, be, will see it at the same time, for the Lord has decreed it. So finally, we're going to see the glory of the Lord will be re is revealed. Verse 5 reminds us of the promise of God's presence. This verse speaks of the revelation of God's glory to all people. It's not going to be some secret thing that nobody sees. It's going to be very public. We talked about this a few weeks ago in Thessalonians. Everyone's going to see it. Everyone's going to behold it. God's power is able to transform lives. To be honest with you, parting of the Red Sea, that's impressive. I think so. Uh, turning water into wine, that's pretty impressive, although I probably couldn't tell the difference. Uh, but you know what's more impressive? A changed life. Because I think that's more difficult than moving a mountain. Because we're hard-headed. And the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ can transform lives. When you look at people and you write them off, you are cheapening God's power. Because God can transform that life. Now, he ain't going to grab them with a rope and make them do it but he's got the power to transform them. God transformed my life. And I know if he transformed my life, because I know how hard-headed, I'm not as hard-headed as my dad and brother, but I'm pretty hard-headed. And if he can transform my life, he can transform anybody's. Don't ever write somebody off. This passage promises God's presence and his majesty that will be known by all. The revelation of his glory is not limited to a select few in a secret society or in some kind of a cult church, but it's available and will be there and will be seen. Every knee will bow, every tongue confess. It's an open invitation to anyone, for anyone to, to, be, um, to encounter the magnificence of his power. It's not just for 144,000 people. It's for everyone. That opportunity's there. Or if God decided who was saved in the beginning of time, that just negates anything that Isaiah said because God desires all people to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. The glory of God will have a profound transformative effect on people's lives. Seeing God in my own life changed me. I hope seeing God in your life changed you. It changed Isaiah. Who am I? Here I am, send me. Here I am, send me. He was changed. He can bring healing and restoration. The revelation of God's joy brings hope and joy into our lives. This is why as Christians... We shouldn't just be joyful during Christmas because Santa Claus or whatever is going to bring gifts, but we should be joyful all the time because we have the ultimate gift, the gift of eternal life. And that transformation should compel us to share our faith with others, to pray for preparation, pray for opportunity, and take advantage. If you've ever used a great product, we pretty much always tell other people about it. Well, is Jesus just a side part of your life or is he your life? Is Jesus just some piece that you incorporate, or is he the piece of your life and that brings you peace? And if he is, we'll share him. We'll give testimonies of the transformation, and people will see that. It was fun. I was talking to a friend of mine I went to high school with uh, on Messenger yesterday, and he said, yeah, me and my, uh, my other friend, we used to hang out. We'd go fishing, and we'd get in 
well, say we get in trouble. We, we do some things we shouldn't have. And he says, you know, when me and, and so-and-so get together, we talk about you a lot. And I thought, oh, that's not good. He says, yeah, we, we, we can't believe you're a preacher. And we, you know, we, we see all this stuff and we see what you're posting. And we're, we're seeing the good thing. And he said, that's inspired me to change. And see, I'm, they're in Springfield, Missouri. And I haven't seen either one of them. Oh, my gosh, it's been longer than I want to admit. Probably 30-some years or longer. But yet, a changed life has power. And let's, let's know that. Our application today is simply this. We will experience God's redemption and joy and comfort. And we're, a, we're able to get that through Jesus Christ. True joy is found in the presence of God through Jesus. You're not going to find true joy through stuff, through power, through position, through other people. But you'll find it through Christ. The greatest gift ever given is salvation through the blood of Jesus. And this morning, our praise team is going to come up and lead us in a song, of de, uh, a song of decision. And if you've not accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, we give you the opportunity to enjoy the greatest gift ever given. You know, when I'm married, I always tease, I tease my wife when, I, when we got married. I said, I, we're going to be married, I want 80 years. And she's like, she's doing the math. I'm like, wow. And then I'm like, I've been with her since 80, we've been married since 85. And it's like, I'm just thankful she still wants to be around me. But because uh, most people don't, but she does. But imagine saying to somebody, imagine if you once you got married, you say, we're going to be together for eternity. You better really love somebody to be with them that long, okay? Well, you know who loves you that much? God. He wants to be with you for eternity. It's a lot longer than 80 years. So if you need Jesus Christ, we invite you to come forward this morning. If you're an immersed believer and would like to make First Christian your home, we'd love to have you come forward this morning. If you're struggling to need prayer, if you come forward, I'd be glad to pray with you. But this time, let's stand together and sing our song of decision, God, you reign. You call me by name, I live to 
Please be seated. One of the things that song reminds us of is the fact that our God reigns. And when we take our communion, if he didn't, if he were just some a God and not the God, the communion time would be worthless. It would be remembering somebody who died, didn't raise from the dead. We're all going to die at some point unless the Lord returns first. And there's really no power in remembering much that a dead person did. But because God reigns, he raised Jesus on the third day. You know, we focus a lot on Easter, and I, I, I like that, but we also focus on Christmas because without Christmas, there's no Easter. And Jesus decided, you know, in, in eternity past, Jesus says, you know what, I'll go. Here I am, basically send me. And Jesus said that he would be that salvation for us, that he would be that perfect sacrifice that would appease God's justice and his mercy. The whole Old Testament sacrificial system pointed out the need of a perfect sacrifice in Jesus fulfilled that and exemplified that and that's why Je this is why we don't have to sacrifice animals today because Jesus was that ultimate sacrifice when we take our communion this morning that cup reminds us of his blood that was shed that that blood covers our sins this is why you can't save yourself because once you commit your first sin you can't fix it only the blood of Jesus can and the cup the blood excuse me the bread re reminds us of his body that took the punishment we deserved you know, my brother and I would occasionally, once in a blue moon, get in trouble when we were kids. Not very often. I can't imagine if my brother got in trouble with me saying, hey, Dad, spank me instead. No, I'd be in the corner like, ah, he got busted, you know. But Jesus says, you know what, I will take your punishment. And that's a great, great deal of love. Let's pray together. Father, we're thankful that we can come around this table this morning and remember the wonderful sacrifice and the love that it took to do that and the commitment and the compassion and Father, as we take our cup and loaf this morning, we're reminded of all those things through our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. It's in his name that we pray. Amen.
in the inside of your bulletin, we have announcements. Today at 4 p.m., we will have our annual business meeting. All of our members, we expect you to be there. People who attend the church regularly, you're welcome to come. Um, it, it'll last less than an hour, so we invite you to be there for that. Uh, if you would like to, bring finger foods. And I was telling First Service, you're a candidate for one of these positions. You can bribe people by bringing stuff, because at churches, we do it with food, not money. But anyway, um, we would like you to be there. We'll kind of give an, uh, an overview of what happened this past year with church. And we'll have elections for the elders, deacons, and um, trustee. So we'd love to see you there. It won't take a lot of your time. If you cannot be there and you're a member of the church, uh, you can get an absentee ballot and you can fill it out. But make sure you fill it out the, properly, follow the instructions, or else the ballot will be, will be uh, tossed out because we have um, procedures we have to follow. Uh, Jerry will have all of his groups this evening. Jules's group meets Tuesday. There is no Bible studies for the adults in the evening, but Lori's group will meet um, and uh, also the sunshine, ladies, the sunshine Ladies will meet Saturday. Um, Operation Sh uh, Christmas Child, this church provided 1,099 boxes. And so that was, that was amazing, one short of 1,100. Uh, the, whole the whole southern Arizona area totaled 13,845, so the church provided quite a few. A food pantry, we're, we're in need of some items. You can see that. We've, we've been hit a little bit harder at this time of the year. Also, it's not in the bulletin, but we want to remind you that, that uh, Kelly Barclow and Bill are getting married on the 16th at 2 o'clock. Everyone in the church is invited, and they're going to have cake, so you're welcome to be here for that. They'd love to have your presence, and we're really, really happy for, uh, for Kelly and her future husband. Um, also, at this point, I'm going to show you a video clip uh, about our... Core 52. We'll be handing out books for Core 52 over the rest of the month for the adults. And with that book, you don't take it home and speed read through it. You do one chapter a week. I'll preach the sermon. The first sermon will be on January, first Sunday in January. And then you'll spend Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, or if you need to use Saturday or something. But you're going to take five days and follow the plan. And we're working on some life groups for that also. And so uh, we're, we're all excited. So anyway, here's Core 52. What if you had a way to spend only 15 minutes a day to develop a closer relationship with God and a greater understanding of the Bible? Core 52 provides you with the tools to do this. Think of Core 52 as your fast pass for knowing God's Word. If you can carve out 15 minutes a day, five days a week, for one year, you will know 90% of what every preacher preaches. Core 52 bridges the gap between people's interest in the Bible and their engagement with the Bible. It is the quickest route to move you from curiosity to confidence in mastering the core message of Scripture and shaping a Christian worldview. So we're going to we'll start handing books out next week. Uh, and no, you can't pick one up for your cousin's uncle's aunt's dog because we, we bought enough for the adults in the church, but if you would like to get some, they're on Amazon, so you'll be able, you, can, you can have your cousin's uncle, sister's dog order one off Amazon. Uh, we're hoping for people who tune in online. We know there's people that, for whatever reason, won't come to church or don't come to church. We hope that for the next year you'll follow us, because if you will, and you just, you're just like, you know, I don't know about this Jesus, but I want to learn about the Bible, um, you'll learn about the Bible, you'll learn about Jesus too, and we'll be going from Genesis to Revelation with this, so I'm really excited about this. And I think it'll be something that'll really be beneficial for everybody. 15 minutes a day. Do you have that much time for your Jesus? And, and if you do, when we hand these books out, I expect them to be used because we bought them for you. So anyway, that's the announcements we have for this week. I don't think we have anything else. Uh, as far as prayers, 
We have a lot of people we've been praying for. Gloria Beck, who used to be a part of our church, she's in California. She's, she's uh, riddled with cancer right now, so keep, keep Gloria in your prayer. She's not going to get treatment, um, and so just help be in prayer for her. We have a praise for the Stitches of Love. They, 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 sewed, they created 4,513 items this year that go to the community, to uh, Operation Christmas Child and different things. I think their hands got to be hurting, but they, they do that on Monday, so they have a good time doing that. Uh, also, we have a lot of people we've been praying for. We ask that you keep them in your prayers. And at this time, let's stand together, and I'll close this with a word of prayer. You can take your bulletin home and keep people lifted up, and our band will lead us out with a song. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you so much that we could come together today. I pray, Lord, that as we live life this week, we live it with joy. Lord, that we're preparing the way for other people to know about Jesus as they see our lives and the preparation we've made. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Hopefully see you all this evening. Thank you.